Matthew chapter 5. Believe it or not, on Father's Day, verse 31 and 32. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Uh, isn't that great? I don't know. I probably should have changed this. Uh, if you've been at the door for any period of time, like you know, we don't usually... Father's Day, we don't do a Father's Day message, Mother's Day, we don't do a Mother's Day. It's like we, just, we usually just roll with what God gives us. And, uh, this was one of those days where it's like, well, that's a down roll. Maybe we ought to change that, you know? <laughs> There's two things that I want to say before we get started on this. And this is going to be our text all the way around. I don't care who you are or what your history is in marriage. Um, this is going to be a weird one. And you may even hear... You may even hear a couple things that you've never heard in this text or this exposition before. So just bear with me. We're always open for discussions. Uh, and so, yeah, if you got any questions or anything this week, um, send them. We'll, we'll work our way through. Two things I want to say though before we get started in this text. One is for those of you who have gone through or experienced divorce, I want you to know that um, I in no way want to come off insensitive or like flippant uh, concerning the subject. Uh, it is serious, it is painful, it is devastating. I know to everybody involved, but especially uh, to God, it's serious. And because of how devastating it is to God, I, I don't want to misrepresent that which Jesus is declaring and revealing concerning divorce here, according to the law. Which brings me to the second disclaimer. Um, the New Testament, actually, our, our scriptures, our epistles to the church has a lot to say on marriage. And a lot to say on divorce to the believer. It has a lot to say to the believer and to the church as far as how we're to view marriage, regard marriage, do marriage, and succeed in marriage. But I want you to know that this is not that sermon that you're going to hear today. This is not that sermon. Uh, it is not my intent uh, to do this exhaustive um, um, scriptural marathon on marriage and divorce because I don't think that was Jesus' intent, follow me, when he made these statements. Okay? He, he's talking to a bunch of unregenerate people here. And I just want us to remember that context. So uh, this sermon is this, this not an exhaustive dive into marriage and divorce. These words on divorce here are intended, again, to crush and to bury and to indict and to condemn the hearer according to the law of God, just like everything around us. And so Jesus isn't breaking rank here. Um, what he's doing in this entire section of the Sermon on the Mount is killing us. He's burying everybody. And he's, he's using uh, all kinds of examples um, and all kinds of errors that we have and that we live in um, and that we desire um, to do that. 
He, he's, 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 his purpose is to indict the hearer in every subject that he's speaking of, including divorce. And so that, that's again the context of, of what we're doing. This is his intent in, in what we're seeing here in the statements he makes. So uh, statistically, um, yes, you always got to, you know, when you're talking about divorce, you always got to pull up some stats. 41% uh, of marriages end in divorce. Um, for a second marriage, it jumps to 60%. In a third marriage, it jumps to 73%, uh, which, is, which is interesting because uh, a, lot, a lot of the theory is that we're going to learn to do this better. Like the first one was kind of a give me, the second one, ah, that wasn't great, but I, you know, I did some things. But the third one, I'm going to have it. Now, the, the stats show us that uh, we do not learn, apparently, uh, according to them, to do marriage better the more that we have marriages. The top five reasons for divorce, 36.1% uh, of them are financial, right? Uh, so uh, one of our biggest gods, uh, one of our biggest idols as human beings is money. And when the money is not there, we're not secure in that. A lot of times it causes relational issues. And... Uh, Marriages blow up, relationships fall apart. It strains a lot of things. So, uh, according to this, 36.1% of divorces are, are are because of finances, because of money. 45.1% uh, is age. That's what people have said anyway. They got married too young, right? Uh, which I find it interesting uh, because. What we have is um, is people getting married later than they ever have now, and divorces are higher than they've ever been. And so I'm not I'm not sure about this stat, uh, but that that's what people say. 45.1 percent. We were just too young. We didn't know what the heck we were doing. I didn't know what I wanted. They didn't know what they wanted. You know, done. 57.5 percent uh, says it's conflict. You know. Uh, so, so difficulty, challenge in the marriage. Uh, we had a fight. We had a disagreement. We just don't see things uh, eye to eye, and you know, no, no marriage should do that. You know, uh, why fight for that? I, I need to go find a marriage where where we agree on everything, and there's no tension, and there's no conflict. Right? If there's anything difficult that goes on in the marriage, it's toxic and it's bad, and God would want me out of it. No. But, th but this is what we do. This is 57.5% of divorces. 59.6% affairs. Adultery. And uh, this, uh, this website that I went to to pull these stats, the, the, the fifth one, which is, I don't understand, is 75% lack of commitment, which to me doesn't get its own category. That's actually the previous four stats, <laughs> just lack of commitment. Like every single one of them, we can boil it down to that. So so the highest one is sexual immorality. Reason for divorce, adultery. So adultery's at the top, and let me just say right up front that if we're talking about adultery according to Jesus, this statistic isn't even close to what it actually is. And this is where I might get in trouble with some of you today. The bear wouldn't. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. So let's go ahead and look at the text. Jesus starts, starts off in verse 31 with the same phrase 
that he's been using uh, with each subject, with each indictment, right? And he's got to continue to use it as he goes, as he continues to go through uh, indictments. Uh, he starts off each one with, it was also said, right? In, in other words, you were told, who, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce, but I say, but I said. So, so this is the pattern, right, through all of these. You said, you were told, but I say. What's he doing by saying this? What's, what's he saying? Six times through this section, uh, it is said, but I say. Occurs, right? So, so what he's doing is he's making a distinction between what's been understood and accepted by them as law, as opposed to what Jesus is revealing or declaring to be law. Right? Two different different things. To, to repeat a statement that I made a couple weeks ago in my sermon, their perception of law-keeping was different than Jesus' perfection in law-keeping. Two different things here. You have believed this is the standard, but actually this is the standard. Now speaking of divorce. You believed verse uh, 31 that if you issue a piece of paper to your spouse that you fulfilled the requirements of the law according to divorce this is what you think divorce looks like a certificate for whatever reason right but 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 this is what it actually looks like again Jesus here is he's taking the law of God and the requirements of the law according to God's holy standards and he's stretching it out to proportions that they cannot stand up underneath. And, and, and that you and I can't stand up underneath, if we're honest. This is Jesus' point. This is what he's doing. Once again, his, his entire goal in this section is to condemn every single one of us in, in heart and in head and in action in every area of our life, which, by the way, does not mean the law is bad. It doesn't mean the law is bad. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't endeavor to not be angry because it's the same as murder. So we should hate that and not want to do that. We shouldn't want to lust because it's the same as adultery. So we, we shouldn't want, you know, it, it, the law's good, but it just shows us how much we fall short of being able to pull it off, right? We're unable. It, so, so Jesus is continuing to blaze the same trail of pronouncing guilt, but this time in regards to marriage and divorce. Jesus is not breaking rank here. I want us to understand this, because this is going to come into play soon. He's not throwing out random thoughts to promote random responses from us. I don't know about you guys, but like, I, I, I believe that even some of the best preachers come to this section of Scripture, and we, we throw in... Uh, an interpretation, a sermon of morality, of being a good person, of behavioral modification. Maybe they send you out of here with, you know, one, three, five steps of things to do uh, to succeed in these things. And, and so they throw in morality to their sermons, they throw in behavioral modification, and they throw in inability to do it to where I don't even think we know what we're doing. I don't even think we know how to interpret this. And, and, and what, what Jesus is doing here is he's simply preaching inability. He's not coming to these subjects and going, now, here's what you need to go do to actually fulfill these things perfectly. He's just saying, guilty, boom, guilty, boom, guilty, boom, with nothing that you can go do, with nothing that I can go do, nothing to modify. He's preaching 
inability. This is the law. Okay, we talked about this a few weeks ago. There's a, the, and especially in Jesus' teaching, the law and the gospel are bifurcated. They're not mingled, they're not thrown into a blender, and then the blender's turned on, and then it comes out as a mixture of law and gospel. There is law over here, and there is gospel over here. And it will help you and I so much to discern that when we read our Bibles. It will, it will actually give us a lot of clarity with our doctrine and our theology. So Jesus isn't mingling morality and behavioral modification. He's, he's preaching inability. He's consistently dismantling our perceived ability to perform that which we should but don't. He's, he's actually deconstructing our moral resonance. And we all have one. Once in a while, we like to pull it out before God and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing pretty good here, right? You know what I mean? Uh, like like he's, just, he's just deconstructing all of it, okay? And, and one of the first things that we, that we notice here in this text is that, uh, maybe you did, is that divorce probably was not as much of a unicorn at that time in that culture as we like to think it was. Or maybe we were taught it was. That, oh, they had a completely different... You know, standard for marriage back then. They did it way better than we do. No, they didn't. They, they, they really didn't. In, in ways, they may have esteemed marriage and what it was more than we do, but not to the extent that they weren't divorcing each other, because they weren't. They were divorcing each other back then. According to almost all the Jewish historians that I looked at, whether it's Alfred Edersheim, whether it's um, uh, Josephus, guys that specialize in the Jewish culture and the life and times of Christ and prior, these guys all would let you know the, these people were divorcing each other for all kinds of things. It looked a lot like what we do here in America today. All you need is a piece of paper. And you can, you can roll on it. Right? Even among God's people. Even Israel. And of course, if it wasn't something that was going on, then Jesus wouldn't even be calling them out. If it wasn't something. It is something. So if the certificate of termination was not God's idea in marriage, was not God's preference, was not God's intention, why did they hold to it as if it was? Right? Like, like, why was it given to them? Where did they get it from? Where did they get that from? Well, if you would, turn with me real quick over to chapter 19 of the same book that we're in, Matthew. We have a very similar conversation, but it is a different one. This is actually a follow-up conversation from the Pharisees and religious leaders to Jesus on probably this teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's, it's a follow-up on divorce. All right? Daryl and David Steele? No. And I'm sorry, I won't. Is that me hearing me? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, is that going on in here? Yeah. That's some kind of idiot TV show, probably Big Bang Theory, but it's a current show ever made. That, well, I'd rather hear your show. All right, let's keep going. <laughs> Matthew 19, check this out. 
Um, we're going to start in verse, verse 3. And, 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 and what we have here, once again, is a vain attempt from the Pharisees to indict Jesus for breaking and mishandling the law. It's so ironic that these guys were constantly trying to bury Jesus, while what was actually happening every time was he was burying them. Like it's actually the opposite of what they were, they were trying to do. He always had uh, the upper hand, and that's what's going on again here. Listen to what Jesus says to these guys when they come at him again concerning marriage and divorce. Uh, verse 3 of 19. The Pharisees came to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And Jesus answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So first we see these guys inquiring about what's fair game. Uh, in, in divorce, right? And what does Jesus appeal to? He, he appeals back to God's original intent in marriage, right? What, what God's brought together, let no man tear it apart. By the way, which means uh, when it says no man, uh, first and foremost, it's speaking of the active parties involved in that marriage. The husband and the wife. It's not just people outside the marriage that are trying to tear it apart. It's them. It's the people inside the marriage. God's saying, let no man uh, tear it apart. And, and really, this declaration that Jesus uses, the statement of God concerning marriage, should, should really answer everything that we need for everybody concerning the subject of marriage and divorce. There shouldn't be any divorce. Period. Right? The, the marriage is a divine institution conducted, witnessed, overseen, and united, consecrated by God. That, that that's true should, in any question of when can, we can divorce and when we can divorce. It should just take care of all of it. But they persist. Verse 7, they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce to send her away? So why then does the law give us a loophole? Why then does the law give us an exit, right? A way out with a piece of paper. Verse 8, Jesus answers this. He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. This is pretty, this is pretty interesting. So, so, so Jesus is saying, before Moses, God, before Moses said, God said. Right? He's, he's appealing to the original intent of God. So once again, God's perfection and righteousness supersedes man's perception of righteousness. God is right in this, and that's what Jesus is saying. I know what you have. I know what you think is okay. But let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to where it started and the original intent of marriage. Right? It's helpful for us to remember here that God instituted the law, and then the people of God went to town with it. I don't know if you've ever seen that in your Bible, but so it's interesting that, that God starts with 10 statements that become law given to Moses, and we end up with like 644. You know what I mean? That's silly, right? The, the, they, the, we, we come in, the people of God come in, and they modify, and they add, and they soften, 
and they extend and they embellish, they blow up those ten that God gives us into something that's just a monster. They create this, this monster. And in the end, and along the way, the truth is that much of what became their law consisted of stuff that was self-imposed. Laws that were self-imposed. How convenient, right, to be able to do that. How convenient in their law-keeping. So, so this is why it matters when we see Jesus go, you've heard it said, but I said. Because a lot of their stuff is self-imposed. It was their stuff, not God's stuff. These guys created loopholes. They created exits. They created justifications for a way out of full compliance to a perfect law. Ways to feel good about the termination of marriage. Right? As if it never happened. But it did happen. It did happen. On a greater level than we can possibly imagine, termination of marriage meant something, and it still does, to someone God never designed, invented, intended, or instituted disposable marriages. Convenient covenants. These guys thought the piece of paper was the validation and the approval before God for severing, which is really what divorce is. It's severing a marriage covenant. But Jesus is informing them otherwise. Okay. And then, of course, we have verse 9 there of chapter 19, which says, And then I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. In other words, and this is, of course, what he's saying in, in verse 32 of chapter 5 in our text today. Any divorce and remarriage for any reason other than sexual immorality is invalid in God's eyes. Invalid in God's eyes and thus adultery. Now that's heaven. Like that's heaven. Like who even believes that stuff? That's so ridiculous, right? What this is, is this is the first indictment of two within this divorce statement by Jesus. This is indictment number one concerning divorce according to the law. That whoever has been divorced because it got hard or, or because they didn't get along or, or because they weren't happy or finances sucked, you know, or, or because they just didn't love each other anymore and they got remarried, they are now in a perpetual state of adultery according to Jesus, according to the perfect law of God. You know what this means? It means that all kinds of people are busted. It even means all kinds of people in the church are busted. Busted. It means that many of you sitting here today in this room are busted. The, 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 the one who was served the divorce, busted. The one who initiated the divorce, busted. The one who remarries the one divorced, busted. Like all the way around, right? It's 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 bad. It's one big law-breaking party, you know, when it comes to divorce. But wait, there's more. Like it, it gets worse. Um, due to what we are reading here, what we're hearing from Jesus, some of you right now might be tripping out. Okay, like like I've done. It. I'm guilty. Right? 
There might be others in here that are thinking, if this is true, marriage is stupid to begin with anyway. Like, what, like, why even do it? Which actually is exactly what the disciples said to Jesus back in Matthew 19. If you read through the rest of that, the Pharisees go away after Jesus' response to them on divorce. And then they come to him and they're like, like why even get married there? And he's like, you're right. Don't. Like, it's a, it's a gift if you don't. Like, become a eunuch. Like, it's weird. It's a bizarre text. But that's what they're saying and that's what he's saying. It's crazy. Others of us in this room might be thinking at this point, including me and my wife, I feel pretty good about myself. I'm doing well. In two weeks, we'll have been married 29 years. Our first and only marriage. So far. There's been no divorce. There's been no adultery. We have not been sexually immoral as to earn ourselves a legitimate marital termination according to the loophole that Jesus gives us. We're, we're, we're still going. And, and it is here where, where we can look at what Jesus is putting forth and go, like, like we passed one. You know what I mean? Like, like we passed one of this test. We're not crushed by this part of the law. You know what I mean? Like, we, like we, we can get a D on this test instead of an F. Because we haven't done this. We've upheld this part of the law. We've been married for almost 30 years, and she's been faithful to me, and I've been faithful to her. Right? One of the, um, one of the greatest benefits of our current English Bibles is that it has sectioned off subjects and statements and phrases for easy referencing and easy identification, right? So we can find our way around accessibility or laziness, whatever you want to call it. But like that, that's kind of cool. It makes it easier for us to go in there and find what we're looking for. That's one of the greatest benefits of our Bibles. One of the greatest errors of our current English Bible is that it is sectioned off subjects and statements and phrases for easy reference and identification, right? Causing us to oftentimes break stuff apart that's meant to be together. Context, that's meant to be tied in, that's meant to be kept in mind as we're looking at something else. This sermon has been parsed in our English Bibles to make definite distinctions in what Jesus is preaching here, right? Anger, boom, over here in its own room. Lust, boom, over here in its own room. Divorce, boom, over just completely separate subjects, nothing to do with each other. And because of that, we might be led to think that what he's doing here is random in this sermon, that it's arbitrary, that it's just pulling out subjects and throwing them out as they come to his mind. But what if it's not? What if it's not arbitrary, even the order in which he puts out these subjects? In chapter 5, I would submit to you that the choice of his subjects are connected, they are intentional, they are calculated, they are in perfect order. They are properly placed in sequence by the preacher of the sermon, on purpose, on purpose, which is why I can't even get a D instead of an F on this text. Do you know where I'm going? My wife cannot get a D instead of an F. 
on this test. Nobody sitting in this room or any other room can walk away from what Jesus is saying here in this sermon concerning marriage or divorce, divorce and say, awesome. Like, I aced that one. Right? Because nobody has. Let me read, once again, what comes before his statements on divorce. Some of you are way ahead of him. Verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in his heart. This comes before what he's saying now with the verse. Just want to make sure we all know that. This is what was immediately said before what he's saying now. If what Jesus says here is to be taken literally, and I believe it is, I'm, I'm probably one of those whack jobs of a, of a preacher, of an expositor, that actually looks at much of what's being said by Jesus in chapter 5 and takes it ultra-literal. I believe Jesus is being ultra-literal. When he goes on um, with the subject of lust to say, if, you're, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, your arm causes you to sin, cut it off, I don't think it's a metaphor. I think he's, he's being dead serious. Your options, because you have a lust problem, because you have broken God's holy standard in, in lusting, your options are hell or cutting off your, your members. Like, bad and bad. Like, those are your options. There is no other. There is no good option. Again, again he's crushing us. He's leading us. He's, take, he's leading us to a place of despair so that we will know how bad we really are. I believe he's dead serious. And I believe here that we should take literally what he's saying, that God really sees lust. He really, he really um, sees this way and, and holds us to the standard, uh, that, that, meaning that um, uh, my wife is actually cheated on. If, if what he says about lust being adultery, and he really means it, he's really telling the truth, my wife is cheated on. And I've cheated on her. Not physically, but it doesn't matter to God. Done it here. Where it matters. Here. And she's done it there. And so I am an adulterer. I'm indicted as an adulterer. And so is she. This is, I believe, so help me God, the actual intent of what Jesus is saying. No one gets away free from this. You know what else it means? This word's got to sound really crazy. We're all justified under Jesus' loophole to walk away from our spouse because we're all adulterers. That would sound really wrong, doesn't it? So what is it when we don't? What are you looking at when you see me and my wife in two weeks take 29 years knowing that she's cheated on me and I'm cheated on her? What is that? Gospel. It's gospel. Not law. I am not a smart man, but if I'm allowing Jesus to be consistent and truthful concerning what he's saying here, he's saying that we all have that experience. Every single one of us. Bet you never heard a talk like that before. 
We have all failed. We have all cheated on our marriage, according to Jesus. All of us. Which means that even though I've been physically faithful to my wife for close to 30 years, I'm guilty of adultery. She is too. Pastor, this is too radical. This is, this is kind of crazy. That's a very extreme interpretation. Don't you think, right? A perversion of scriptures even. And, and, and like, is it? is it? Is this not what got Jesus killed? Was talking like this? This is what got him killed. This, this level of teaching, this level of insight, this level of revelation that he would bring forth got him strung up. The level of truth that he spoke this depth of guilt preached against mankind is what got him killed by mankind. Even where we think we've succeeded, Jesus comes along and says, you failed. You failed. This is the you're much worse than you think you are type language that we get from Christ often. Yeah, and I know how crazy it sounds, but again, so help me God, I cannot help but to be convicted by these scriptures that this is exactly what's being communicated. We're much worse than we All the way around. Once again, all have sinned and fall short, even in marriage, even in divorce, even in remarriage, of the glory of God. Because our hearts are wrong. Our hearts are wrong. So, so now what? Now... What in the world do we do? Right? So law has now done its job. What follows law? Gospel. Now gospel can do its job. Right? How do we marry once or not, divorced or not, remarried or not? How, how do we relieve our guilt? How can I be cleansed? How can I be restored? How can I be exonerated from a broken law? Gospel. Gospel. It's the, it's the only way. How can I be exonerated from an unfaithful marriage? Gospel. How can I be exonerated from a bad divorce? Gospel. How can I be exonerated from an invalid remarriage? Gospel. Gospel. Right? We, we go to Him. We seek refuge in Him. We hide in Him our shame, our guilt, our nakedness. We hide in Him. He clothes us. He clothes us so that we are no longer naked and no longer ashamed and no longer afraid. We're okay. He clothes us. We cry out to him. We look to him, the author and finisher of our faith, by faith. By, by faith. The, the, the big problem that all of us have requires a big gospel. The very big one. Right? That's what the law does. It makes the gospel big. And when we do discover a big gospel, what do we see? What do we see there? We see marriage done right. We see marriage done right. We see purity done right. We see commitment done right. We see faithfulness done right. We see covenant done right. We see law keeping done right. Why? Because we all of a sudden do everything right? No. Because we see him do everything right. That's how we know what it is. That's how we experience it now. Because you see, it all done right by Him. Right? Ephesians 5. 
right? Everyone knows that one from verse 23 down to the end. It's, it's the big one about husbands and their roles. Love your wife as Christ loved the church and women submit. There's that horrible, stupid word, submit to your husbands as the church comes under Christ, right? As the church submits to Christ. And then he gets down to the end and he says, I'm going to share with you a mystery real quick, by the way. I'm actually speaking of Christ in the church when I talk about husband and wife. I'm actually talking about the divine, eternal marriage, which Jesus has initiated upon a sinful people, his bride. That's what I'm talking about. This is the part I do not understand. This is where the beauty of it all is. This is where lives are changed, people. This is where marriages are even changed. Is when we see what this actually is, what Christ has actually done in building his church, in birthing his church, in being the head of his church, is he's actually shown us what marriage should be in every way. What I mean is that Jesus will never come to a point where he's over his church. He will never come to a point where he cheats on his church with someone else. He will never come to a point where he divorces his church. And I don't know about you, but I give him reasons every single day to divorce me. I've given Jesus, I've given Jesus a million reasons not to love me, and he's not paying attention to any of them. You know what I'm saying? And it's not because it's not because my sin's not serious. It is, but his love's greater. His commitment and faithfulness to us is greater. It's greater than our failure, it's greater than our inability. It's greater than our commitment to each other. And praise God for that. And so every time we look at him and his church, we see the fulfillment of God's perfect law in marriage and not divorce. Every single time. Perfect. There's no room for guilt here anymore. There's no room for condemnation anymore. Because I know that some of you have come through hard history and hard marriages. In our different places, and you might you might be killing yourself over it Sundays, or like you know just beating yourself up. According to to Paul in Second Corinthians chapter five, you have become a new creation in Christ. The old is past, the new has come. No matter where you've been, what's happened, or where you are now, that's your identity, that's your reality, based upon His faithfulness. Lord, thank you for uh, this time today. I thank you that you meet us where we're at, God, that you make adjustments via the Holy Spirit. I really didn't want to preach this today. But I, I thank you for the sweet time that we've had in this room, in these four walls, though we're a small number. The reason to be here is great. You are great. I thank you for this family life, this marriage that you've allowed us to come into as a, as a result of your accomplishments on our behalf, God. We thank you so much for revealing to us a perfect law followed by a perfect solution in your gospel. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your covenant-keeping commitments to a people who don't deserve it. Thank you for making us clean, for cleansing us from our sins, our guilt, for clothing us in your righteousness so that we can boldly come before and be before and live before you. 
just heard.